time I checked, I was still a kid. Childish, childish. This all freaks me out a bit. Hey, after you drop off the kids or put them to bed, turn on Childish with real life friends and podcasting virtuosos Greg Fitzsimmons and Allison Rosen. Laugh about the struggles and joys of parenthood. Grow closer to your children. Learn something useful or not. Maybe feel less alone. And maybe even put the spark back into your love life. Childish is for people who are parents or had parents. If you had no parents, maybe check out WTF with Mark Marin. Subscribe to Childish. New episodes coming soon wherever you listen to podcasts. Childish, oh shit. Last time I checked, I was still a kid. Childish, childish. This all freaks me out a bit. Childish, oh shit. How can I pet when I'm still a kid? Allison Rosen. Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison Hey everyone, hi, hello, welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here with producer Tony Thaxton. Hello. Hello. I didn't even spend time talking, now I am spending time talking about our ongoing search for a nickname for you. Mm-hmm. Um, when we finally settle on one, I don't know what we're going to talk about. Right. Because then I'm, I think that's just when I leave the show. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. That's a perfect <laughs> ending. It will all come full circle. And yeah. I don't know what I mean by that, but I just it just feels emotionally right. I'll um, allow it. Thank you. You're we're welcome. also sitting here with a man who, whom you've been podcasting with for hours today. Yes. And for even longer than that in general. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> it is uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000's Bill Corbett. Hey, everybody. I don't Hi, know. Allison. I don't know if I should be describing you that way because you've done so much more and you're known for more than that. Yeah, but that's probably the headline. I think that's fair. Okay, that's a lot of words as it is. Yeah. So yeah, don't. Yeah, don't when give did, yourself more trouble. Okay. Speaking. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna wait, but I'll just say this right now. I literally had to write down Mystery Science Theater 3000 in front of me because when I see MST. 3K, my mouth wants to say a lot of things, none of them being Mystery Science Theater 3000. (laughs) Now, I am someone whose podcast is abbreviated, and in fact, the Twitter handle is Uh A-R-I-Y-N-B-F, so I'm a fine one to talk, since (laughs) A-R-I-Y-N-B-F, if you sound it out, is nothing like Alison Rosen is your new best friend, but my mouth keeps wanting to say like Masterpiece Theater 3000... (laughs) Which is it's that it's that pesky K. It yes. doesn't really yeah, it's just, it's like it doesn't really go with a thousand, but yeah. Right. Am I the first person to say this though? No, 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 no. And, and a lot of people for some reason have decided that it should be two thousand. Oh. Um and I was not instrumental in naming the show, so I take none of it personally. <laughs> <laughs> um but there are a lot of people who claim like, Oh, I remember it when it was Mystery Science Theater two thousand and then you guys got another thousand or something. And it's like, no, it never ever literally was like that is one of those whatchamacallit never Yeah, exactly. But they will insist to you even though you were on the show like oh no no it's true it was 2000 at one point and then you know 
I don't know who issued the other thousand that we got, but right. it's like the television naming commission stepped in and said, you've earned another one. Right. <laughs> Fine work, lads. You um, could make 4K someday if you put your nose to the grindstone. Uh, and you're also known for riff tracks. Yeah. You co-wrote Meet Dave, which starred Eddie Murphy. Yes. Eddie Murphy, who's now receiving $70 million from Netflix. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I have to say, like, he had some real stinkers. Meet Dave was not a good movie. I, I'm here, here to say. Yeah, but it, you know, it was good and lucrative for me. Um, it was during a part, a point in his life where nobody really was into Eddie Murphy that much. The movie he did before that was Norbert, which oh. is really a stinker. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry, but I believe you mean Norbit. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Norbit. But, um, but, from my point of view, like he was a trooper in this movie, even though it had like it had gotten kind of the script had gotten kind of shitty and everything else, um, and maybe it wasn't too good to begin with. But he was not the problem. He really right. tried to make it work. What I don't recall, Meet Dave. Oh, it was. Um, it turned out to be mostly a kids' movie, and that was one of the problems. It was a little bit ill-defined. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys who who uh, did Elf with Will Ferrell, which oh, you I did, did definitely like have, yeah. uh, were our producers for a while so they were trying to force it into that and it kind of worked and it kind of didn't uh we got a kid suddenly we got like a kid's sidekick and it was a little hard to write because it was just a little weird to begin with and then it was taken out of our hands as happens but it was and, and what was your what and when was your involvement with that movie oh i i wrote it and then you know and then like to be like it was your idea yeah it was my idea okay. and then um, I wrote a first draft and then I asked a pal of mine who is a TV writer out here, like, you want to come in? I feel like it needs some structural help. So we co-wrote it together, me and uh, Rob Greenberg. And what uh, was the story when you wrote it? It wound up being essentially the same story. It was really dopey. In my mind, it was like Futurama-ish tone. Um, it's just this huge um, spacecraft comes from another galaxy in the shape of a person who is Eddie Murphy. But he, but there are little people inside operating him. Oh, I love And that. he is also the captain, Eddie Murphy. So it's in his image. So hijinks ensued, as you may mm. have guessed. I, <laughs> you mean things didn't go exactly as planned? No, as were, it turns out. Were there shenanigans? There were shenanigans and hijinks. And, um, <laughs> was there tomfoolery? There was, uh, uh, we tried to pull back on that, but ultimately <laughs> the tomfoolery wound up in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did have a lot of people like Ed Helms, uh, Judah Freelander, like people who were just kind of cresting at that right. moment. Um, and I'm ashamed, but I can't remember even his name. Uh, very short black comedian he's like kevin giant hart. kevin hart yeah. had a small part in it and um yeah so it was just full of people who were about to be stars <laughs> now the way you describe it is uh n- not the the plot of it but sort of the experience of like and then at this point that happened and then these mm-hmm. producers came in for a little while and i know that that's like a pretty typical unfortunately a typical hollywood yeah. story um What's your attitude toward all of that? You know what? It's really not that negative. <laughs> I'm negative about plenty of, thing, plenty of things, but not really that because, yeah, I wish it had wound up a better movie, especially for a guy who's like other career is kind of ranking on bad movies it's like oh boy and people are always asking will you do me dave and 
And the answer is yes, I would if it weren't a comedy because like making fun of comedies is a weird thing. It's、mm. like the putting a hat on a hat. Like even if the comedy doesn't work, it feels like really sour to say, "Oh, that was funny," you know.、Mm. Essentially, so does it di- feel almost too easy? It feels well. It feels、um, no. It, it's not easy because. Uh, deadly sincerity, like real sincerity, are the best things、right. for us to be kind of snotty with.、Uh, whereas, like we've tried things that are semi-comic, like Pirates of the Caribbean, and there's like a lot of comic notes in there that you wind up saying essentially, "Well, that didn't work," <laughs> which is really a snotty thing to say,、yeah. you know. So it's not the best place for us. But I would have no, like ego-wise, I don't care. Anybody else can do it any any time.、Right. Um, but I, but I, I'm actually really grateful for the movie. Like it, it did well overseas. It bought us a house. You know,、mm-hmm. like movies don't ever get made. Like it is the worst. Like there are working screenwriters who've worked a lot more than I have, who have never had a movie made. So I have that, and I got to go to the set. I got to meet Eddie Murphy, and、um, you know, I, you know, it's the little practice of gratitude there、mm-hmm. of like. A lot of good stuff came out of it. You said there are plenty of things that you're negative about. <laughs> What are some of them?、Uh, pretty much anything political at this point,、oh, yeah. you know. But that's like everybody in the world, <laughs> anybody that I want to meet in the world is.、Mm. Um, I don't know. I guess like really cynical,、uh, shitty blockbusters, like、um, I don't.、Uh, the whole series, the Transformers series,、mm. anything Michael Bay makes, like. I I just feel like those are big money pits without a bit of soul to them, but that's not an original observation. It's just sort of like trauma from my work of having watched too much of that stuff. How do you feel about Avatar? And I should say I have not seen it, but I feel like unless I'm confusing it with another movie or another man, I think my husband, <laughs> which is I think my husband has a real beef with it. Is your husband blue and very very tall? <laughs> yes. All right. Wait. May, how do, how did you know that? <laughs> he may be bitter that it was based on him, but um, we saw it a while ago, and I we actually did it for Riff Tracks and. Until like last month, it was the highest-grossing movie of all、mm-hmm. time. Until the Avengers movie, oh, it did beat past, it. Yeah, it finally it. did. It squeaked、oh, past. Good, good. Yeah, <laughs>、um, I was just talking about this with somebody the other day. It's weird that that was the highest-grossing movie of all time for the better part of a decade, and that it seemed to have left no cultural impact at all.、Mm-hmm. Like, there's no Avatar like figures. Nobody cares about、no, the story. Avatar you, Land. You didn't Actually, know about it is now. Oh really?、So、they opened in the like Disney Park in Florida. They're one、oh. of the surrounding parks. They did just open some sort of Avatar Land. I want to see. I do want to see it. I feel again. I maybe I may have the wrong movie and I may have the wrong husband. But I've only been <laughs> married once. But I feel like the the diatribe is like it's what's wrong with X Y Z. But I don't. I don't know. Yeah, there. I think there are worse examples. There was like. One of the one of the、uh, knocks against it is that it's basically Fern Gully,、mm. the cartoon from the eighties. I think、um, that's sort of the same story, but it, but it's、uh, like there are things you can admire about it without liking it. Like James Cameron, you're really neat with your three D stuff, and that was I think what pe- got people in there. It's like he's a technician, but story wise, yes, I think that's the. There's、problem. also like a, a pretty good liberal story in there about decimating、um, native populations and things and all that, but it, it's not it's not subtle. Like it's not it's not good storytelling. There's not a lot of art, no, in it, no, but a lot of craft. It but there's、like. a lot of 
cool dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Also, you went to Yale. Yeah. You have two kids mm-hmm. from Brooklyn, live in Minnesota now, and you host a podcast, Bill Corbett's Funhouse. Yes. Which Tony works on. Mr. Tony Thaxton has been my LA point man. Yes. Not for long standing, like you did today. Then you did when I interviewed Andy Richter a mm-hmm. couple of months ago. Um, but I just know Tony from other things. He's a good guy. And man, it's really good to have you on the ground here, as you're finding out. I, I did not have a nickname for him ever. I feel like I really <laughs> fucked up there. Well, I mean, I've been working with her longer, and she doesn't have one. Yeah, either, yeah so. we but. don't have one yet. We <laughs> need to get one. And it, I'm not like a n- person who always gives people nicknames. Why do you feel the need to with Tony? <sighs> well, our old, our producer before you had a okay. nickname, and so it just feels. I mean, I guess I'm just a follower at heart. I have to think <laughs> <laughs> Tony like, Faxton is one of the best names. I know. Just Maybe we shouldn't mess with it's it. It's really good. Yeah. Um, Thank you. But do you know his his uh, his painful upbringing though that involved uh, Tony Braxton's popularity? Oh, of course. I never put that together. <laughs> yep. Oh, I'm sorry. She man. got popular the same time I was the new kid in school. So that oh, was a fun combo. Yeah. Yeah. It's Tony with a Y. <laughs> <laughs> oh. How was how was your upbringing, Bill Corbett? My upbringing was pretty good. Yeah, I I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, um, in uh, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, which was the home of Saturday Night Fever at the time. Pretty much Italian Irish. Um, yeah, and I it's weird that I'm in Minnesota and have been for so long. It's just I went there for uh, theater because that's I'm sort of a theater guy um, to teach playwriting and to be like a fellow at a place called the Playwright Center. Mm-hmm. And then um, I got work as an actor at the Guthrie Theater there. And so it was sort of a working life in the arts. And it's a really wonderful town outside of the cold, which I am increasingly weaker about as the years go on. I'm, not de- I'm developing less rather than more tolerance for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know what that's going to But my kids, you know, my kids are teenagers now and that we they grew up there. So and my wife is from the east coast originally but moved there when she was eight so she's effectively a minnesotan her parents are still there and a lot so it is good and i have lived here in la in different stretches but the last time was when my daughter was one and meet dave was you know when we were writing meet dave and working on it and um we started looking for houses i was telling i was bitching to tony on the way over here like (laughs) started looking for houses and i was thinking you know i'm just gonna have to keep knocking it out of the park as a screenwriter to keep this going like to live in a place where i want to live with these kids and they have no grandparents here so let's just you know my agent said look if you just keep getting yourself back here when you need to for meetings it's not a problem unless you want to work as a writer on tv in which case you have to be here Mm -hmm. but so that's kind of where it's been. And then we did riff tracks, and that didn't really need me to be here. So, uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, when was that in That was in the 90s, way back then. Um, and then there was a couple of years of writing screenplays that weren't produced, but, you know, and working in theater. Um, and Rift Tracks was sort of an offshoot of Mystery Science Theater with the same people, a couple of the same people, but not exactly the same thing. So uh, it's been, it just did really well. And we've been lucky because it's 13 years later. And mm-hmm. so we do a lot, we release a lot of stuff on our site, but we also do these shows through Fathom Events a couple of times a year, the ones that are like beamed to movie movie theaters. And um, those those have done really well. So it's we're lucky. Knock on wood. 
Are, sorry, are you talking about Rift Tracks or Mystery Science? Rift Tracks. Rift, rift Tracks. Tracks, okay. To make it more confusing, R- Mystery Science Theater was revived last year. Yes, but I know about that because I know Jonah Ray. With Jonah. But and, with yeah. Joel, right? Joel as Joel as sort of like at the helm. Okay. Um, he just kind of wanted to bring it back the way he wanted to, and it wasn't with us. Yeah. But it was with Jonah. It was a little weird. It was a little weird. I kind of got his point, uh, but it, and I'm not even sure I would have wanted it. But it was it was weird. I don't know what else to say about it mm-hmm. except, and I love Jonah. So you know, I know Jonah, and I just felt like, good for you, man. You're a good guy, and you deserve this. And that was his so, favorite show of all time. It was too, his favorite so was... show. Like it couldn't have been better. Yeah. Um, for him. and I was actually on the show a couple of like you in a, and wrote a little bit for them, but it was it was odd. Do, um, how did your involvement with Mystery Science Theater three thousand and every fucking time? Excuse my language. Time I said I have to look down because again my can mouth. I, can I give you a way? Just say MST. MST. Fuck the K MST. and the number. Okay. Yeah. MST or Mystery Science or something. Make MST. it easy on yourself. I'm gonna do it. Yeah. Plus, weren't you guys 2000 anyway? Um, <laughs> Allison, how I will would... not be your new best friend. If you're... <laughs> oh, no. This is not going well. Um, how did your involvement with that come about? And were, do you have like a piece of it or were you just cast in MST? A little of, a little of all. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I didn't start the, out with the show, that, um, but I did start to get to know some of the people there because the theater and comedy scene in Minneapolis is pretty small. Um, but I did know some of the people, some of them took a class with me cause I was teaching screenwriting and just knew them through various people. So at one point I think I just asked Mike Nelson, who was the head writer at the time, do you mind if I sit in and see if it is a good fit? And it kind of was. So I joined as a writer for a while. Then there was a weird time when they were switching networks and then everybody thought the show was over. I had moved here and then I found a new life. So, so they said, if you want to, the band's getting back together. And, um, so I moved back there and was a writer originally. And at that time, Trace Beaulieu, who did the original voice of Crow T Robot was getting out of there so they handed me the puppet and said give it a shot and so i started being in front of the camera too it was really great because you got to write it just felt like you know we can put on a show and we can all do everything Mm -hmm. and that's a pretty kind of collegial it really was it was all those things and you moved back for it i did yeah. yeah how did you feel about that at the time Oh, a combination of things. I actually really like LA. Tony and I were just talking about that on the way here. Like it's, it feels like there's, we, we all know what's not great about LA, Mm. but I really was enjoying life here. But on the other hand, I was having a hard time finding what I needed to find. And like the screenplay stuff was going pretty pokey. Um, and I really loved mystery science theater. So it just felt like a good trade off. Mm -hmm. And had you liked it as a, as a fan at the beginning? A little bit. I was a little slow to it. Um, and in fact, I had been at a party at the, like at the set there and didn't know what it was in the really early days, like just fellow comedy theater people said, Hey, there's like a big party to celebrate. They just got renewed. And I was like, there's a show (laughs) that films in the twin cities. That's like on comedy central. Um, 
And so I was walking around looking at, wow, there really is a TV show that happens here. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I quickly sought it out and then like got to know the show. And I was like, I love this. It's also a good show. So I was pretty lucky to eventually hook up with it. So then a question about both MST, thank you for that tip, by the way, <laughs> and Rift Tracks. Um, I think that it, you know, as a viewer, you might think that, that there's a lot of um, ad-libbing and improv and stuff like that. But if, but as a writer, the fact that there is our writers indicates to me, no, it's, it's more written than I might think. It is, it is really written. Yeah. And I think in the very earliest days of like cable access for the show, it was really an interesting start to the show because it was like, it almost like followed entertainment from the 80s to the 90s. And it had an early online following. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the earliest, earliest days, it was more like, hey, let's watch this silly movie we've never seen before. And maybe we'll say some stuff, but you'll see our little silhouettes. Um, but then it became like, hey, let's, make good jokes let's really like work this out so Mm -hmm. it was quite written um in our live shows we improv a little more we try to read the audience and i really love that like i even love when jokes fail because we're getting enough hits and it's like that one's a real stink because the audience loves when our jokes suck too (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah, but it is really pretty weird. And I hope we're like selling the illusion of it being spontaneous. Oh, you are. But obviously, like to come up with stuff with that timing right. over and over again would be impossible because we've tried it and it's, we can't. <laughs> and how how is it or was it actually shot? I like was the actual movie playing? It, it was so analog. It, it's, it was just green screen, really. Um, yeah, we were in these little, uh, basically car seats, at least the puppet guys, Mike and Joel had like a slightly higher seat. And then there was just like a wood cardboard, wood, uh, cutout of movie theater seats. So you could see the puppets above it and you could see Mike's back and head. Um, but we were watching a little, we were watching it on a monitor, just a small television sized monitor in front of a big green screen, a green scrim. Um, and that's kind of how it is. That's about as sophisticated as it was. Does that feel satisfying, Tony? I, well, I think the other part, the other part of it that I've always wondered, and every time I see Jonah, I'm like, oh, I should have asked him and I always forget. So now is my moment. Uh, but was that stuff like shot? in one take basically because the silhouettes always like you can tell like yes yeah it was shot in one take and sometimes we had to do adr afterwards okay if uh either somebody blew a line or or it is or we just decided that wasn't a great joke like we Mm -hmm. did so the only time the only effect that really had was when my puppet (laughs) was talking because you could see his beak flapping so every now and then if you're (laughs) looking really closely you'll just see him go like and there's like nothing there's no sound or you know he's silent yeah but we tried to work that out other other than that it really wasn't an issue that being said i like things changed tech technically for the new show it was it was more sophisticated Mm -hmm. we were very analog yeah yeah it was the stone age too i mean (laughs) digitally speaking and you operated your puppet yeah uh did you go to school for puppetry oh no no i was really bad you learned the streets <laughs> i learned on the street the mean streets of uh minnesota yeah um yeah and it was not it was like a really clunky puppet it, i think they eventually engineered something a little better um 
and it was fun. But when I first got it, when I first got the the part, because just the way we operate, it was like Friday. They said, "Hey, you're gonna do it. Um, you know, we're gonna start to shoot on Monday." So I really had no. Why is grounding everything in show business like that? Right? It is. Yeah. I don't get it. I think in this particular case, they were in denial about the fact that they needed a new person to <laughs> okay. do this character because Trace was so good and he was such, like, he was one of the founding fathers of the show. Um, but yeah, I had no time to learn mm-hmm. and I brought the puppet home and scared the shit out of my dog with it. And, <laughs> you know, and I was doing it on the kitchen counter. I was like, I don't know how to make this thing come alive. <laughs> but little by little, I did. And so the first couple of shows i was on it's like man he he had a stroke or something it was like <laughs> something bad you were the puppet yeah oh well both no but um the puppet yeah because trace had really made it right look. but it, i it didn't take long before i could kind of make and it how like, um this is uh this will really come alive for people listening but can you show me or, ex- or explain like how the puppet was operated yeah there was like it was a rod puppet and i know there are like People who are really into puppets know exactly like the specs here. Mm. And I don't think any of our puppets were anything but like just sort of jerry rigged, you know, by people who were not puppet experts. But uh, it was basically I had a, a rod in one hand and it had a little toggle switch on the bottom where I could make his eyes go mm. back and forth. Mm-hmm. And then there was a string kind of running down the rod that I could make the beak uh, flap when I talked. Outside of that, there was really no control. I just had to kind of like use momentum to get him to right. turn. I heard he had like a sort of a, a serving tray body that I could plop on the desk. It's sort of like that was him in repose. But every now and then I would just uh, kind of move him around. But he was very top heavy. And the danger would be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so there's a lot of blooper reels of various things and his eyes popping out. And- <laughs> Um, His jaw going slack, like string broke. Was that hard to deliver lines to do the performance that you wanted while also doing a puppet? It was for a very brief time, and then it just felt like I don't know how else you could do this. And that is one of the questions I had about the new show was that they were actually separating those jobs. Um, They had like voice actors, and then they had people doing the puppets. And I think the voice actors could activate the mouth or something. It just seems so complicated to mm-hmm. me because puppet acting really is kind of a kind of acting. And I really started to look forward to it. Like I like learning how to make him live a little bit yeah. with the minimal things that were there. So once I got sort of proficient, I loved it. Mm-hmm. And then um, how was Riff Tracks done? Rift Tracks is a no puppet zone. We basically just, <laughs> we started out uh, in response to fans who are like, hey, you know, it's great that you did all those cheesy universal movies from the 50s, but wouldn't it be great if you could do like Titanic or this superhero movie? And of course, we can't get the rights to them or anything. So um, the idea was, hey, we'll do MP3 commentary. You know, we'll make sure everybody knows that no puppets are involved. There's no real metafiction to the show. There won't be any skits, but it's something you can download if you're interested. Um, so that's how we started. But then we started to miss the old movies, too. So now we just sell, like, the commentary over the movies. Um, and then we do the live shows where it's just where the human meat puppets are there. And the ideal... Uh playing of riff tracks would be like someone cues up the movie plays riff tracks and then turns the volume low on the movie yeah you'd kind of have to play with it Mm -hmm. i mean um 
Yeah, I think people have gotten pretty good at it. Like the the MP3s for movie movie commentary for things like I don't know long uh, big studio movies. Um, originally, you had to like download and then sync it up manually, which mm. I was never good at. My wife was had the patience for it. I did, and I was like, I'm glad some fans are up for this challenge because I am not. But now we actually have an app that is almost oh, cool. like um, Shazam. Where it actually can, you know, once oh, we have really loaded cool. the movie in there, it'll pick it up and eventually our commentary will kick in. You might be like a couple of jokes, you know, while right. it's figuring it out. Oh, that's really I, neat. Yeah, it is neat. Tell people. I what? had no, I had no hand in making that. It was much smarter people than me. Where do people get that app? Riftracks.com or, okay. or any place you get apps. Right. You know? That's and it's awesome. free, free, free. And you also write humor pieces for Riftracks? Um, not really. Like, do you mean... Uh, That's what your website... I mean, not your website. Sorry. That's what I thought I read on Wikipedia. Oh. Oh, but, you know what? I wrote for other things. I wrote for um, a, a bunch of other things. Not Riff Tracks doesn't, has that one gear pretty okay. much. But I did it for uh, public radio, stuff, various things. I actually worked for Garrison Keillor for a little bit. I freelanced for him. That is crazy <laughs> because crazy. I just had Erica Rhodes on. <gasps> oh, yeah. You know who that is? Yeah, I know, I know exactly who Eric is. Who, and she started performing I never knew on that. that. Yeah. She was his niece. She's his niece. Holy moly. Um, her mom's sister is or was married to him. Uh, <sighs> and she started performing on that show when she was 10. Oh, yeah. I never got that connection. I never knew why Garrison was such a proponent of her. Not that she's not talented. It just seemed like I am distrustful of his interest in any young, attractive woman. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> like, yes. he's kind of a creep. Um, that's, uh, that's what people are saying about him now. Yeah, it was pretty well known. I mean, I don't think he's like uh, Harvey Weinstein level, but he's creepy enough. Mm-hmm. And um, Wait, what kind of creepy enough? Well, he's like inappropriate, uh, very inappropriate, <laughs> um, and I think maybe a little more than that. I'm not sure I know all the worst right. stories. The one of the just to connect it all more, Jonah Ray had that show, Hidden America, yes, um, for what was the NBC CISO. channel, CISO, yeah. and his show in Minneapolis, he had me playing a sort of a Garrison Killer-like mm. character. And this was before all this stuff came out. And the bit that he and the writers came up with is that I am just like a sex-crazed, uh, Adderall-snorting <laughs> madman underneath all the folksiness. Right. It's like, oh, that turned out to be largely true. Yeah. Uh, we got to do it in the actual theater that he worked in, the Fitzgerald Theater. Mm-hmm. So it really looked good. So you, what did you do for Prairie Homecoming or for him? Uh, I wrote some skits, sort of freelance. Um, I also wrote a little bit for like NPR. We had a Mike and Kevin and I who do the who do riff tracks had a pilot for NPR for a while um, that they never really got around to. But we got so far, and so we were kind of playing in the public radio waters for, waters for a while. We had some commentary pieces on All Things Considered, and but. It just wasn't a good match humor wise. They're very buttoned down mm-hmm. and not funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, they they can, but it's, you know we are just sillier, I think, mm-hmm. and probably a little too raucous for their brand, right? Something. Yes, I don't know. I know exactly. I'm trying what you not mean. to brag I, here. But I know exactly. What, you what mean. I really want to say is we're funnier, but <laughs> <laughs> pretend I didn't. <laughs> I'm just going to pretend you didn't say, say that. 
thanks. You're now my best friend again. <laughs> oh, good. Because you got back me covered. Your, back in your good graces. Thanks, man. Thanks, Allison. <laughs> You're solid. And now I need to talk about the shoes that sell themselves. In fact, I'm just going to sit back and let this pair of Rothy's shoes that are in front of me talk. Hey, I'm a pair of Rothy's shoes. You do the talking, Allison. Well, if you insist. Look, you guys, they're even humble. Um, you've heard me talk about Rothy's before. Rothy's are all the rage. They're super popular because they are extremely stylish, but more equally important, extremely comfortable women's flats uh, that you can pretty much wear out of the box and you don't get blisters. These are the shoes that I've mentioned before. Well, first of all, Meghan Markle wore them when she went on some trip and like after that, they were flying off the shelves. If they're good enough for Meghan Markle's tootsies. I think they're good enough for years. But also, our dog walker Kathleen was wearing them right after I was became familiar with them. And I said, are those Rothy's? Because it was one of those days where I'm like, Rothy's are everywhere. And I said, uh, are those Rothy's? She said, yes, they're the only shoes I can wear out of the box and they don't give me blisters. And this is someone who is professionally on her feet. So I feel like she knows. Uh, and they have a number of different silhouettes, a number of different styles. They change the, the, the patterns and colors up often. So you're going to become addicted in a good way and you're going to want to keep buying them uh also they are machine washable which is great insanely comfortable like i mentioned um they have over a thousand nearly perfect reviews and they're stylish sustainable comfortable washable they're made out of recycled water bottles which is amazing because they feel like really great fabric um they're everyday flats for life on the go Check out the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com slash Allison. Go to rothys.com slash Allison, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com slash Allison to get your new favorite flats. Comfort, style, and sustainability. These are the shoes you've been waiting for. Again, head to rothys, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com slash Allison today. So <laughs> you... um. Sounds like you initially had a very serious interest in theater. Yeah. And is that what, is that what you studied at Yale? Yeah, well, I, I went there as an undergraduate. Then I was knocking around doing plays and acting in New York for four years. And then I went back to drama school um, for playwriting and screenwriting. But I did a lot of acting there, too. Where was the drama school? It was at Yale. It was, okay. like, it was like the grad school Got for it. that. So about seven years in New Haven, Connecticut. Did you like it? <laughs> I loved drama school, and I have to say, I mean, the reason was it was like theater camp, and I got to write a lot, and I got to act a lot, and it's like, it was deferring all the financial realities of it mm -hmm. on loans, but it was still worth it to me, and I have friends from there who are just lifies, you know? Um, so I did, I did like it there more than undergraduate, because I got to just be a theater kid, um, but right out of that, I went to Minneapolis on a fellowship they have like a playwriting fellowship to be at this place called the Playwright Center, which was, you know, the playwright August Wilson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was one of the main guys there. And wow. so I went there for a year to teach and hang out. And then things just kind of kept working out for me in the arts community there and eventually uh, MST. So, I, yeah. And then I got married and now I'm still there. <laughs> what got you interested in theater as a young person? Man, I don't know. I think it's just natural hamminess is one thing, but also just a couple of teachers who um, were really great creative writing teachers. And they like, that was sort of a unit in their, you know, exploring how to write. 
uh, do a little skit about this or that. And I just relished it. And I don't know why, but I was like, all right, this is what I like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I continued that a little bit in high school. I was really more of a, a kind of a, a sports guy and student government nerd, but there was some amount of theater and I wrote, like wrote a one act play and directed it and I just felt bitten and it was terrible because my family is so not into anything artsy or theatery. They're very nice people, but it was like a horrifying <laughs> prospect to them. It's like, what are you going to do with your life? What, what, uh, like, what careers are they in? Well, they, I mean, again, big disclaimer. I love them dearly, but they are like insurance mm. and banking and a little bit of, you know, like sensible. my dad was like, yeah, very, very, very sensible. Um, oppressively sensible, <laughs> but my dad was like, "Oh, well, you go to Yale, you know, it's going to cost a lot of money, but you could become a lawyer, and you could probably like hook up there." And I was like, "So when I came back with like a m- millions of dollars in student loans, and said I'm going to be in theater," <laughs> it was like, "Oh my god, you have made the wrong choice." It's interesting that you were a sports person and a student body person, and then you flipped to theater because I think that there's this idea. That or maybe you didn't flip. Maybe you you did that concurrently. But like, there's this idea that theater draws the outcast kids, mm-hmm. um, which I'm guessing you were not if you were into sports and, and student body. I I wasn't, but I was. Uh, I went to an all boys Catholic high school, and it was like it was simply one of the only places to meet girls in a non like awkward, mm. you know, monthly dance right. format. So there was that, but I also like that's the reason I gave to my friends. But I really enjoy. Like I was getting, I was getting into the life. Mm. <laughs> How did you like all boys Catholic high school? I I I don't. I would not recommend it. It just did not. You know, it was okay. I went to a pretty good academic high school and all that. Um, but it just feels like uh, at this day and age, and even back when I went to high school, it's probably not good to have four years of your life so cut off, mm-hmm. especially the most hormonal years. And I think that's the exact argument people use for, for the, why to why, do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I know that there are women who went to all girls high schools who really liked it for that reason mm-hmm. alone. But I think I thought it made boys just kind of maniacs and too horny and too like unable to think of girls in any like normal way right you know because they're like, like this they exotic. do science we do math together we're on a, you know and i my kids who go to public school and they just it just feels like healthier mm-hmm. i don't know um were your parents religious yeah no culturally not really to the walls <laughs> like when i stopped going to church they weren't not they weren't uh terribly upset right you know? right um, it's like, yeah, you're going to go to hell, so it's your, it's your business. So many people with uh, who I've had on the show who went to Catholic school, even if they're not into it anymore, they walk around with a ton of guilt. Yeah. Where are you with that? Done with it. Yeah. <laughs> I really, you know, it probably is part of the Irish Catholic culture, mm-hmm. big on guilt. But I feel like, yeah, well, I, I hit back with therapy. So what? <laughs> Good. You know? When did you get into therapy? Ah, uh, reluctantly, but then when I did, I was like, oh, yeah, this is what I needed. Um, pretty late, probably 30, and like just intermittently when I mm-hmm. needed it. But it's like, it's so healthy and good. Relu- you, reluctantly, you say? Yeah, because it didn't, it felt a little weak at the time, but then it was like, as soon as, you know, as soon as it sort of gave me some relief from um, 
depression and guilt and weird, all that shit, all that stew, it did feel like this is what it's here for. Mm -hmm. And it's like, good. And I would like, and so when my kids have gone through stuff, I, I am quick off the block to say, I'm here for you. I love you. I'll talk to you anytime. But you might do better with like a also augmenting it with like this objective person who knows the terrain better. Right. You know? Did you always want to have kids? I did, but there was a point at which I kind of was like, oh, because I, I, I was married and uh, we got divorced without kids. And then, you know, I got to be uh, in my upper 30s before I was married again. So I didn't really ha become a dad until after 40 years old, um, which is a shame in some ways, but also great in others. Because mm -hmm. when I think of, I don't know, the hot mess that I was in my 20s, that was not a time for me to be a dad. You know, and now I like I I am in recovery from alcohol and stuff like all the stuff that I wouldn't have been at the time. So I feel really good about that, and I have a great relationship with my kids, and it's mm -hmm. really it's cool. Yeah, my um, my husband and I are old parents, and that makes us sound to me that sounds so much older than we I have really to say are. though, like out here, it's not as uncommon. Like no. a lot of my peers like uh one of my best friends rob who I, rob greenberg who i wrote this with it was like around the same on the same schedule as yeah. me but in minnesota it's a little weirder it's right. like i go to school meetings with parents who frankly could be my kids you <laughs> right. know like if the, if it was really like hillbilly level of starting kids. yeah but like who are like 15 years younger mm -hmm. than me or 20 years younger than me and i try to act cool and put on a <laughs> Backwards baseball hat. Right. Like, Are you convincing them? Do you think? Of no, your not at all. Not when they see the gray in my beard. I'm I'm a fan of having kids later in life um, for the same reasons because I feel like I didn't know who I was then. I wouldn't have been able to be the good parent that I hope I'm being now. But what I feel like you trade in is the energy, the Absolutely. energy of a twenty year old, twenty something year old. Like yeah. because I I do not have that energy anymore. Yeah. It, yeah, it's formidable. And uh, I have felt it at times. I've tried to be honest with my kids about it. It's like, here's the trade-off, kids. You got an emotionally stable dad who loves you and is more financially secure than I would have been 15 years ago. But I cannot climb that tree with you. Like, <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> What's weird is that when they were actually like toddlers, I kind of could keep up. And mm -hmm. I was like, I was, I'm very healthy for my age. But now it's just like, no, not even that. Like, But... It's they can, worth they it. They can find tree climbing buddies. Hell yes. Yeah. Um, and now they're, you know, at the age where they don't need that. And, mm -hmm. you know. How is having teens? It's not bad so far. Like, okay, I am God. really, I really <laughs> feel, I don't know. Maybe there's something we haven't faced yet that's coming up. Probably. But so far, so good. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of awesome to talk to. So tell me about Bill Corbett's Funhouse. Bill Corbett's Funhouse is my little vanity podcast, um, and I didn't intend this to. Uh, I think I'm, I think it's going to be a limited run. I think I'm going to maybe do it a year or two. I just kind of wanted to. Um, I don't know. I started thinking about it, of course, when everything was exploding in 2016. And it's like, I'm on Twitter too much. I should just do a podcast and then get back to my work. Wait, what was exploding in 2016? Oh, the, the oh reboot? Like, no, no, sorry, sorry, oh. sorry. The, uh, uh, like, politics and oh, everything. Oh. So I was always on Twitter, like, weighing in on Trump and everything. And mm. so I had so many opinions. And at the same time, 
I feel a little disconnected being in Minnesota and I miss people. Like I miss people who live, who uh, live here and I was enjoying interacting with them on that. But I just thought I need some vehicle that gives me an excuse to like talk to people more often and get me out of my writing garret and not be with the same couple of people all the time. So yeah, like I come out here and I am doing voice work now, which is cool. So I have an excuse to come out here, but then grab Tony and do like seven or eight podcasts with how many did you guys my- do today? Well, we only, we only did two. Um, but I think I'm going to, by the end of the week, I'll have done seven. Um, and so, yeah, I won't talk for a week. After <laughs> do you know? Um, do you know Ken Reed, who does TV Guidance Counselor I don't. podcast? Okay, he's a um, a comedian, <clears throat> excuse me, and former musician who has a podcast. Um, and he, oh, where does he live? The story would be better if I knew where he lived. Somewhere far away, mm-hmm. possibly maybe Boston. But he'll come out to LA. And like record, you know, a whole season basically worth mm-hmm. of episodes. Similar. Yeah, I mean, we do have comedy clubs in Minnesota where people come through. Like Andy Kindler just came through, and I did an episode with him. Um, but yeah, so I have. And the other thing is, like, you're sort of a veteran podcaster at this point, and I just sort of stumbled into it. I gave it a really kind of generic name, like Funhouse. <laughs> um, but I did want to talk about some combination of it. So I have like a panel in Minnesota of like kind of funny, smart people that mm-hmm. I've known for a while. And then I'll occasionally have a guest in and everything. But it is, I'm discovering that you do need to focus or have a little more of a mission than I have. Cause now I'm kind of everything mm-hmm. except written. The one thing I want, I knew that I didn't want to do is like write content right. for a podcast because I couldn't keep up with that. Um, that it had to be sort of off the cuff with a little prep maybe. Um, but now I'm doing this combination of interviews and issue shows. So it is a little bit of like, it's everything and it's nothing. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm going to pull the plug at the end of the year or maybe mid year. And if I do another one, it'll just be smaller and more focused, but it's fun. It's really fun. It's really fun. Well, so I know, (laughs) I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, Alison Rosen is your new best friend is the podcast. This one that I've been doing since 2012, uh, before that, even it was a a live streaming internet show. It was it was different. It was three hours once a week. Um, but some of the segments that, that that I started on that show, like then moved over to this show, same music stuff like that. Um, so I've been doing this one forever, right? And I have been hesitant to narrow it to anything. Like mm. it's. At one point, I thought maybe it's going to focus on relationships, but then no, like it's just, it's, it's an interview show. Yeah. I mean, I, I can, I can talk about it in a way that makes it sound more focused, but it's not. But, um, <laughs> I now have started a parenting podcast with, do you know Greg Fitzsimmons? He's a comedian. He's familiar. He has a podcast that's like general, like this one too. Yeah. And his, and, and we've always talked about, do, you know, teaming up to do a podcast together because we love podcasting with each other. And his thing was like, okay, we have to focus it on something. We cannot yeah. have another general podcast. Right. And, and so we do, it's parenting, except it's not, we, oftentimes we barely talk about parenting. Well, you, 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 that's the thing. You're going to be di- digressive anyway, right. but it should gather around something. My ambitions for Funhouse were like ridiculous at first. It was, all right, there's going to be three sections 
And in the first one, we will talk about the issue of the day, like maybe it's immigration or something like that. Mm-hmm. And like sometimes I knew a lot about it and felt passionate. Other times it just felt like I better tick this one off. Um, because it's in the news? Because it's in the news and because it seems like... Uh, you know, the, the silliest version is I feel like it's something I should focus my attention on and learn about. And, I don't, you know, I, I don't think I understand why you, uh, why you degrade it. So but <laughs> I don't think it's that silly. No, it isn't silly. If that was just the podcast. Okay. But then it was like part two. We, uh, we each bring in something from like something culturally that we've seen. It can be entertainment. It can mm-hmm. be junk. It can be really highfalutin, but. Something we have enjoyed or not, but we're going to talk about it. It's like book reports almost. Right, I like that. I liked it. The third part was advice. People would write in for advice. Mm -hmm. So you could see the problem as a podcaster. It was like ballooning up and getting, first of all, physically long, Mm -hmm. and then also a little bit... just uh, unfocused, and I was. I felt like I had. I also had three regular panelists, so it just felt like so much to manage as a podcast. Did you noob. feel like like too too ambitious? Too ambitious, too and maybe like even at its best, it probably needed to be one or two of those things, but okay. not all three. And I've since like cut down on the number of panelists because I also felt like I needed to give everybody a turn because yeah. they're all cool people yes. and I want to hear from everybody. And at the same time, I was wa- looking at my watch and probably being passive aggressive, like, "Can you get to th- get to the point on that <laughs> anecdote?" Like, because right. we have two more sections mm-hmm. and there's like three more people. So, so yeah. That flop sweaty thing right. just wasn't worth it. So what has it evolved into? It has evolved into um, we usually do only two or even one of those three gears. Is evolved into more interviewing mm-hmm. as I travel around more. And sometimes I combine them too. Like Andy came to my office where I podcast from and, um, you know, we did it with a fellow comedian there who he knows, who is, is MC that Brandy, for- Brandy, Brandy mm-hmm. Brown. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And it just, and it's no more than me and two people. It's never me and three people. Cause that was just a little, yeah, too packed. Right. Um, but that's stuff you kind of learn by doing. Yeah. So much of it is. Yeah. And I think that like what doesn't work for one show might might yeah. work for another show. And Absolutely. It's hard. It's hard to figure that stuff out though. But it, it is fun and it's so like it's um it whatever the fate of the podcasting industry is, whatever the New York Times articles are saying, I just feel like it has been a blast to just sort of like conceive and do my own show and have people listen and have a patreon that kind of works enough that i can like rent an office and Mm -hmm. pay people it's another thing that i try to do is like pay people who are on the show at least a little something just to you know it's my it's my political practice you know you've entertained and so but but the other side that yeah that's in theory i know i I love it in theory too and in practice honestly it's not working Mm. like i am losing money which is, but the other option I would have is to like jump up and down all day about my Patreon. And I just feel too old and crabby to do that. And, and Riff Tracks does enough of that stuff already. Mm-hmm. I don't want to always have my hands in people's pockets. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. Do you know Cameo? Are you on the band? Cameo? No. <laughs> <laughs> Word up. Word up. <laughs> I am no. S- time stopped for me in the 90s. I'm sorry. Uh, no, Cameo, I have heard of it. Yeah, it's this app where people can uh, purchase a video greeting 
to them. So right. like you can set your price and someone can be like, oh, could you get, send my wife a happy birthday greeting or just to say whatever. Yeah. Um, some people are, I think, making a ton of money on it. Wow. I set my, I was like, this sounds fun, but also like a pain in the ass. So I'm going to, I'm going to make it really worth my while. No one came a knocking. Um, so I've lowered my price. I, I've now done one. Um, and Cameo themselves reached out to me and they're like, people are requesting you. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> that does not seem to be my experience of it. I, I, I mean, I bet that someone did at one point. Yeah. Or whatever. Anyway, though, this is a real long story to say that I think maybe the reason I'm not getting a lot of attention on my cameos because I'm also on Patreon. And it's like yeah. people who want access to me, they're drowning in it. Yeah. They have enough. <laughs> That's- they're not dying for more. Exactly Which is not a right. good place you want to be as a performer, probably, yeah. but so maybe you should get on Cameo. No, I, no. <laughs> it would be the exact same thing. I really do feel like, yeah, enough is enough, and just from my <laughs> point of view. And people have been great. Like, I am lucky enough so that if I do like a crowdfunding thing, I will always have enough critical mass of people to get something out of it. Mm-hmm. And I did not need to rent an office dedicated to my podcast. Tell me about your decision to do that, though, because live- we are sitting in my house right now, but in, um, in it's, it's disconnected from the main house. It's wonderful. Actually, this is my platonic ideal of like, you know, you go across the yard, you have a pretty sound tight area. There's air conditioning. Like, it's all good. I couldn't achieve that in our house. So we had the basement and I had a dedicated room to it. It worked well sound wise, but it really took a big chunk of my house away. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In the place we lived before this, it was in our dining room. Yeah. And the other thing for me was that I am in a pretty far flung mm. Western suburb of Minneapolis and I couldn't justify asking people to drive like 20 minutes plus back and forth. Um, it's funny you say that because 20 minutes plus is so nothing. I here. know, I know. But it is definitely a different mentality. Yeah. I mean, and that was probably on the low side. But Did you feel like you were asking them to come to the sticks? A little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. And and being that being the host in a house, I didn't really, you know, I had to clean. I had to clean the house. Like, I never did. Well, that's the lesson I should have learned. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I should have taken a lesson from you. <laughs> but but now I have an office like right in Minneapolis that's really easy to get mm-hmm. to from downtown and all that. And I love it because I do other writing there. But it is like it's a it's a it's, it's a line intense. item that probably I shouldn't be putting out there. I don't know. Do you miss serious thespianism? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's the correct <laughs> word. <laughs> like I experimented in college with it. Um yeah, I really do like acting, and I even like serious acting, but um, there's only so many gears you can be in. And like I, every now and then I get to do like a reading or something like that, or um, I can kind of do it whenever I want, but until my kids are kind of out and, um, you know, not, not an expense, <laughs> I mean, I might go back to some theater at some mm-hmm. point, but I always liked you know, halfway to being in comedy anyway, even when I was in theater. I liked funny stuff. So I was never really a real serious, serious actor. I did Shakespeare and all that, but wasn't where my heart lied, which is just kind of, you know, some somewhere in the comedy realm mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. And do, are you still writing plays? I am, but like... I took a while where I would only do little commissions and little pieces uh, to make riff tracks happen. And because my wife works too, I was sort of 
you know, homemaking too, which I really enjoyed. Um, but we're coming out of that period now. They're like a lot more independent. And um, so I am getting into it. I'm doing a play for a local theater. I'm writing another screenplay with a friend of mine. And I really, I feel like that's right. I should mm. be writing because that's what I like the most and where it's kind of where I started. And you mentioned your quote unquote little writing, Garrett. <laughs> what, is, what is your actual setup? My actual setup is that office that I was talking about. I mean, it's filled with audio equipment, but I have a little corner of it with a a chair from Goodwill that is super comfortable. And so I just put my laptop in there and it's really great. Mm -hmm. And also you have, um, we have to get to this. You have a dog named Wendy. Yeah. Which is, I have a dog named Wendy. (laughs) It was mind blowing. I came in the house. There's this really cute uh, King Charles Cavalier Spaniel that Allison's dog. And she started calling Wendy, Wendy. I was like, wait a minute. I have never heard of a dog named Wendy, but that is our our younger dog is named Wendy. And what kind of dog is your Wendy? She is such a mutt. She's like unidentifiable. um, She's doesn't look anything like your Wendy, but she is uh, somewhat beagle. Um, A bunch of other things though. We actually did a DNA test. You did. And they came back. Go ahead. Well, they came back, we came back and it was like, I don't know, 60% of this we cannot figure out. There's so much going on. But there was like. You stumped the DNA test. Yeah, go, Wendy. Plot plot hound, which is a dog I had never heard of. I've never heard of that either. But she's much smaller than both a plot hound and a beagle. Mm -hmm. Oh, how big is she? She sounds adorable. She's like. uh, 25 to 30 pounds. Um, she's oh. super skinny. And like you can see her ribs, even though she eats like 80 pounds yeah. a day. So we're thinking there might be some like mini greyhound or mm, something in her. Right. She is great. She is great. But she's a wild girl still. She's very feral. <laughs> I feel like our Wendy is too, even though she looks like a stuffed animal. And I'm sure her <laughs> genetics would say she's Your a Wendy stuffed animal. Your Wendy is super cute. Our Wendy is similar weight, but really fat. Like yeah. her ribs are real far down. In there. <laughs> real far down. Yeah. I I would I wish I didn't see our Wendy's ribs because every night na- I go to the dog park a lot mm-hmm. and people are like, mm, hey, you probably should feed her more. And it's like, you don't know how much this dog eats. Lay <laughs> That's off. right. Don't tell me how to parent Boy, my people Wendy. People just love to tell people how to parent <laughs> they sure though. Do. They sure do. Yeah. Maybe she's like part whippet. Somebody like should start a podcast about parenting and set them right. I think that I think right now we do three sections, and I think the first one needs to be about people telling people about parenting. No, but I, you know, I will sometimes post photos of my kids on Instagram, which that's like a whole thing. A lot of people don't, and I always wonder maybe I shouldn't. But my son is two, and he still uses a pacifier, and his pediatrician is fine with that, and his dentist is fine with that. So I'm going to be fine with that. But lately, anytime there's a photo of him with a pacifier in it. The jerks oh, come out of the no, woodwork to let really? me know their thoughts about that. And it's like, yeah. you think I'm posting this because I want your advice? I'm yeah. not. Just let's take it as a blanket statement that I never want anybody's advice. <laughs> right. Unless I specifically ask for it yeah. and have it like notarized. Right. <laughs> exactly. Especially if it's just something shitty and critical. <laughs> right. But whatever. You were going to say something, Tony. It oh, seemed. well, it, it was it was back on dog talk. But I was, let's go back to go dog for it, talk. Go for it. I just wondered if either one of you named your dogs Wendy for a specific reason or you just thought she looked like Wendy. I liked the name. It's and Wendy, it. too, not yeah. Wendy. Well, <laughs> just, I don't know if that's oh, some Michigan okay. accent coming yeah, through there. I thought, okay. I thought yeah. maybe named after Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> no. Right. No. Um, just well, looked like a Wendy? 
Uh, we got her from a rescue place. She was one of a bunch of super adorable puppies, but her name was Rain. Um, and it just seemed a little hippy dippy to us. And we had another dog named Rudy. So it just felt like it needed it. Rudy and Rain sounded weird to us. So I just punted to the kids and they came up with Wendy. And I was like, why? It's like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> sounds good. People always... Shelter names are always And it bad. worked. It worked for us. They're like, that sounds good. I don't know what to say. I feel like shelter names, they do it in like a cluster. So yeah, they got it. Was it like rain, wind? Storm, right. hurricane. They got to keep the production line moving. Pretty yeah. much, like, yeah, because Rudy was the uh, that was the shelter name we got from him. So it's just you know luck of the draw. It's kind of crazy to think that all most or all shelter dogs had another name at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then probably we'll get another name. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many of them came from the south too. <laughs> I don't know where where they come from here in L.A. Like. Where are they picking them? Right. Well, I guess what I, I mean is like in, in Minnesota, so many of them are from like Kentucky and Mississippi mm. and they just don't have laws there against puppy mills. Right. So these organizations go down regularly and it's like, okay, we're going to take them mm-hmm. back up and get them adopted. And and Wendy actually came from Texas because of, well, she was, it was because of the hurricane mm-hmm. in Houston that like the shelter dogs there got moved to another shelter in the South and then they wound up coming up North. Right. So her name actually had some kind of meaning. Who knows if it was just I took away the though. meaning of her early life. No, <laughs> no. You gave her yeah. a Beautiful name. Yes. Beautiful <laughs> name that only great dogs from great families should That's have. That's right. <laughs> I need to tell you guys about Raycon wireless earbuds. I love them. It's 2019. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, no names mentioned. You need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Uh, they are great. They have great sound quality. They're super snazzy. They come with a variety of different size earpieces, so you get a comfortable fit. Uh, and they start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market, and they sound just as amazing. The company was actually co-founded by Ray J, and celebrities like Cardi B, Brandy, Allison Rosen are already obsessed I stumbled over the the word already because I was sitting outside of myself thinking, did I really just use myself as a celeb example? And the answer is yes, I did. These wireless earbuds have already changed me, you guys. Raycon's E50 wireless earbuds have totally changed the game for me. Not just because they've made my ego out of control. They're so comfortable and so easy to take anywhere. Unlike some of your other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet with no dangling wires or stems. And of course, they don't just look great. They sound great. Raycon offers their wireless earbuds for everyone in a range of fun colors and, and I think this is part of my favorite part, at an unbeatable price. Go to buyraycon.com slash best friend to get 15% off your order. That's buyraycon.com slash best friend for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. If you've been eyeing a pair, now is the time to get an amazing deal. One more time and really listen, okay? I don't know where, I don't know where you've been lately, but I need you to focus. Buyraycon.com slash best friend. Okay. 
You guys, I'm very excited to talk about The Real Real, the leading reseller of authenticated luxury from top designers. Shop from designers like Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Rolex, Cartier, and hundreds more at up to 90% off retail. New arrivals come in daily, and every single item is authenticated by The Real Real's team of experts. In fact, The Real Real employs over 100 brand authenticators, gemologists, horologists, and art curators from around the globe who inspect thousands of items each day to ensure that every item is 100% authentic. There is nothing worse than buying something you love and, you know, spending your hard-earned money on it and then deep down thinking, did I just get taken? Like, is this, I love it. I'm going to love it regardless. That's what you tell yourself. But deep down, you're like, I don't know if this is real or not. You don't have that problem with the real real. It's 100% authentic. They've authenticated it. Uh, you can shop and consign women's and men's luxury fashion, as well as fine jewelry, watches, art, and home. And I am in love with looking at the real real. I have got my eyes on some engagement rings in case things don't work out with Daniel. I'm joking, but I just, uh, I don't know. I love, they're just, they're so, I love looking at them. Uh, and then also there's some uh, ladies watches that I have my eye on. There's a, a particular brand that I have always wanted, um, but I've never really been in a position to be able to get it. And it's not Rolex, by the way. Uh, that one, I'm still not anywhere near in a position to get, but I like to peruse uh, the authentic items they have there and look at the prices because they're like pretty incredible deals on really, really nice stuff. Shop in-store online or download the app and get 20% off select items with the promo code REAL. It's a Michelle watch. I don't know why I'm hesitant to say. I'm afraid you guys are going to go buy up all my watches. Again, get 20% off select items with the promo code REAL. That's therealreal.com, promo code REAL for 20% off select items. Again, therealreal.com, promo code REAL for 20% off select items. I also am on Patreon, as I mentioned, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. If I'm going to say mine, you should say yours. Oh, it's uh, patreon.com slash Bill Corbett. Okay. Uh, I One of the many perks is that you can get your questions in ahead of just the, the hoi polloi. So um, uh, let's take some questions that people sent in on Patreon. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. Okay. Whitney C. says, please describe your ideal nap circumstances. <laughs> oh, question. it actually, uh, it's very much on topic with what we were just talking about. Um, it's kind of semi-dark room with a dog on each side of me. Yeah. I mean, assuming my wife is not napping with me, which is also <laughs> nice. Right. But <laughs> sometimes we just do dog sandwich. Do, mm-hmm. Yeah. And do, you, do you let your dogs in the bed? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, so Wendy is our second dog. Our first dog we never did. Mm-hmm. And um, and we regret it. It's terrible practice. It really is because Wendy is much worse behaved than he was. Um, and I know that like all trainers would recommend against having all a dog in the bed. Yeah. But it's they don't. Nice. They, they they really don't make any bones about it. It's not like yeah. Sometimes you should. There's right. like don't let them in the bed. Yeah, never do it because and, then they get like a big dog head or I don't yeah. know. <laughs> they don't. They don't respect the boundaries. Yep. And I've heard all of it, and I'm sure it's true because she's definitely a menace. But 
Um, but it's just so sweet. <laughs> it really is. To have yeah. a little curled doggy next to you. Yeah, she actually great. she sleeps on Daniel's head. Mm. She's she's <laughs> she's more attached to him. But when I was pregnant with Elliot, with my first, I would take a nap every day and it was like our thing. And I would go in and I would put my head down on the pillow and then she would come in and she would get behind me and put her her head across my neck. It was like the sweetest little neck pillow. Aww. Yeah. And uh, and just like having... It was like she was spooning me almost. Aww. And it was... I don't think I've ever slept that well. Yeah. There's something very... <laughs> so ...relaxing soothing. about it. Yeah. yeah. Now you say semi-dark room. Yeah. Um, not all the way dark. No, I'm not into that. My wife's into that. We have had to compromise with mm. very specific gradations of light. Like that too much? That little... Got it. <laughs> she likes absolute like the universe just disappeared kind of for thing. A, for a nap or for a night for for either although she's prone to like couch naps too which mm. i can't handle but do you they, get under the covers during the day usually not no uh for years and years i only i made the bed in the morning and i did not undo the covers until evening if i was gonna nap it was very specific it was like i'm gonna nap on the couch or i'm gonna nap on the bed sideways and at a certain point i was like i'm just gonna get in bed in the daytime yeah if i need to and pretty good place it's yeah what was the sideways thing about was that a it's a way of saying i'm not in this bed (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm on this bed i am i am on the bed but not of the bed exactly (laughs) exactly you ever do the in bed nap though and then it goes too long and you wake up when it's dark outside yeah because that is the most confusing thing to wake up to yeah Yeah. or you just wake like you've been you've been rip van winkling for a while and you wake up and it's you see six Mm -hmm. and it's like which six is it Uh, (laughs) right and it's not just like where am i it's like who am i (laughs) i know it really is jarring (laughs) yes um just a, just a thing I will offer to, to you know how people on Twitter keep being like, I don't know who, who needs to hear this, but yeah. I was just say, I don't know who needs to hear, you know, I find that irritating, but I don't know who needs to hear this, but I was taking um, uh, generic Unisom because I have trouble sleeping and I thought that it's over the counter, it's got to be pretty mild and uh, I stopped taking it. I didn't take it last night and I was much less groggy today. Because I've just been very tired all the time, mm-hmm. which I just associate with having a baby. Um, but now I'm thinking, I wonder if I was, if it, how much it had to do with the over-the-counter sleep You were aid. in a narcotic haze. I a- may <laughs> have been. Because I was like, don't talk to me till I've had six cups of coffee and a nap and a shower. I don't know. Uh, okay, Alan White. And here's a question that I don't understand, but I'm assuming you will, oh, unless boy. you don't. Could go either way. Do you consider Drop Dead Gorgeous offensive to your culture? Oh, it was a movie that was filmed in Minnesota. Oh, I, that's... Beauty pageants. Yes. Yeah. I just didn't know that it was filmed in Minnesota. Okay. Yeah. It's not my culture, for one thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm a transplant. So, um, but it, it kind of is. As the more time I spend there, the more I have to admit it is my culture, whether I like it or not. And I do like some of it. Um, no, it's a harmless little movie. I mean... Did it poke fun at Minnesota? Yeah, and, and about their provincial ways, but mm. it could be set anywhere in small town. Um, people felt, I remember people being very offended by Fargo, the Coen Brothers movie, um, because of the accents and all that. But even that, I just feel like it has a point. Like the main person is a decent person, even though she does have an accent. Um, and the Coen Brothers actually did grow up there, so they, they have a right to criticize. Mm-hmm. 
Tiffany Fuller says, why are there so many laughably bad movies made? Oh, because it's hard to make a movie. It's really hard to make a good movie. And sometimes you see even like all the ingredients, great actors and everything, and it's still not good. Like a lot of magic has to come together, even with really talented people. So imagine what happens when you have not so talented people. (laughs) Right. So that's kind of my short answer. I was like... Um, okay, and then like a bazillion questions came in on Twitter. Oh, no. So let's take some of those. Um, Patrick Murphy wants to know, Bill, what is your favorite dinosaur? Oh, uh, it's the Triceratops. Don't give me anything but a Triceratops. <laughs> I, I am shit until I've had my morning Triceratops. <laughs> triceratops. Wait, don't tell me. It's a dinosaur. Okay. Come on, man. <laughs> no, I should. I mean, it's obvious. Triceratops Think tr- has three horns. Yeah. But then what's the one that... Oh, pterodactyl is what I'm thinking. Yeah. This, I, not, my knowledge... Not technically a dinosaur. It's a pterodon. Oh. Yeah. All right. This Sorry. Was, my oh. kids used to watch this show called Dinosaur Train, mm-hmm. which is a PBS show. It was very puzzling, but it, you know, it's basically paleontology. So I learned that. It's like, what do you mean it's not a dinosaur? You don't hear a lot about Stegosaurus anymore. Stegosaurus got a lot of play back when I was in first grade learning about dinosaurs. Why can't I picture a steg? Oh, it's the one. Yeah. 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 They were cool looking. Mm -hmm. I guess they're out of fashion. Due for a comeback. Yeah. 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 Hell yeah. Uh, Keith O'Neill would like to know what's the hardest movie you ever had to riff? I think it's uh, for for riff tracks. It's probably what I mentioned before. Those um, Transformer movies—they made me so mad, and they actually are like shot in really confusing digital stuff. So it's and they move quickly, so it's hard to get a toehold on a joke, like a joke opportunity. Mm-hmm. And they also have Shia LaBeouf screaming like a maniac, and it's like, what can you say after a while except? Get some therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Josh Heath would like to know, what is the first movie you remember watching as a kid? Ooh, that's a cool question. I don't know that I have a ready answer, but it's probably a Disney of some sort. Um, uh, Well, no, actually, I think an Elvis Presley movie in a drive-in theater, but that's like very liminal. I just remember being in a drive-in theater. Um, this is literally probably the first time liminal has been used on this podcast. Okay. I don't even <laughs> I know like if I'm using it. it correctly, but let's assume I have. Um, on the, like on the borderline? I think, I think it's like in this foggy space okay. kind of, yeah, on the borderline right. of sense and uh, nonsense. Because I, I don't even remember anything specific. I just remember saying like, who's that? It's Elvis Presley. <laughs> and he was sort of on the downswing at that point. Um, I also saw a movie we later did for Riff Tracks called Jack the Giant Killer, which is that real um, stop motion, uh, you know, f- technology of like clay figures mm-hmm. flapping their wings. Um, but probably the like the one I remember really, really earliest is the annual television Wizard of Oz. Like mm. it used to be, a, it used to be a real event before you could like mm. get it digitally right. anywhere. It's like it's time for the Wizard of Oz again. Remember when it was hard to see Disney movies like Snow White? It yeah. wasn't it only released like every I want to say seven years, but they, I don't know something like that. Yeah. You're right. It was they were very. Either crafty or mean, the way they did that, <laughs> depending both. on your point of view. Yeah, like the Disney Vault, isn't that right? Yeah. Thing? Yeah. Yeah. They Every... withheld and withheld, and now, yeah, now it's like Disney Channel is going to have 
everything. Oh yeah, the streaming. Yeah. Thing, yeah. What was the first movie you saw, Don Tony, that you remember? I it doesn't even seem to make sense to me that I could remember this based on how old I would have been. But I swear I have a super vague recollection of seeing E.T. in the theater. Mm. But I would have been because I was 82, I think. And I was born in 78. And that would have been summertime. So I wouldn't even have been four yet. Wait, was it 82? I'm pretty sure it's 82. Well, four is that age where you kind of start to. Yeah. It's like I said, it's like ever it's just yeah. barely there but i do kind of remember it yeah and i remember this is not actually this is not a movie it's uh like a short but i remember watching ferdinand the bull um we it was we we got a vcr an right. early this was like an 81 i uh. want to say um, and I remember recording that and then watching it back and then also recording, um, like race for your life, Charlie Brown or something. I'm trying to think what the first actual movie was though. I think this is the second episode in a row that with a Ferdinand mention. It's got to mean something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you find when E.T. was? It was 82. Oh, there you go. New nickname, Ferdinand. <laughs> Ferdinand Thaxton. Ferdinand Thaxton. I like it. Someone has recommended My Little Tony, which is, I don't know how that would be used as a nickname, but it's hilarious to me. I know that you don't like it, Tony. What's the next question? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Praise with faint dams. Oh, that's funny. It says, how can I habitually and loudly sing It's Time for Riff Tracks? And I know I'm not singing it correctly because it's spelled in uh, the most phonetic way, I think. Yeah. Um, And still have friends. Just don't do it, man. <laughs> no, we uh, we got our theme song from a guy named Jonathan Colton. I don't even know Jonathan. I've, uh, yeah, I've heard of yeah, him. Yeah, he's brilliant, and he did our theme song for us. And it's it's like better than we could have imagined. It's very catchy, and we it's played before all our live shows um, with an animation that we had commissioned. So it's really cool. It's like the coolest thing about us is something we didn't do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Vora Joykiller wants to know, was there ever a movie that you really wanted to riff that no one else wanted to? Um, I've always wanted to riff this movie that I was obsessed with as a kid called Billy Jack about this. And it was just something about my um, upbringing where he was like this karate dude but he was like a half-breed Indian and he was really like, he tried to be peaceful, but the rednecks pushed him too far. <laughs> and it was really cheesy and it was really like didactic. And he and his wife made a bunch of movies about Billy Jack, but it just feels like um, nobody really wants it to. It was just like me wanting to revisit something I was obsessed with. But. Right. Andrew Weber, have to ask based Andrew on... Andrew Weber? Andrew Lloyd Weber? <laughs> oh my god imagine if he were a listener hello bill <laughs> what did you think of phantom <laughs> what did you think of phantom i really liked phantom and i get that it's cheese but i don't care um i've never seen it oh okay yeah, me neither yeah i don't know that i could say like you guys are missing out or anything but a young allison i like i like slim is that's not andrew lloyd Webber. oh all right did oh yeah, it's those French guys. Yep. Yeah. Did you okay. see the cats trailer? Oh my god. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I saw it early in the day when it was released, and I felt like I was being pranked, like <laughs> pranked personally. Like, who went through all this trouble to make me go out of my mind? And then, like within an hour, everyone was like, "Holy shit!" Right. Okay. So Andrew Weber, 
possibly Andrew Lloyd Webber. I, I don't know. I choose to believe it is. Yeah. Have to ask, based on episode 1013, who's oh. the devoted AAA member among the Rift Tracks trio? First of all, I don't know what ep- – like, I will never <laughs> – I barely remember them when you tell me the title, yeah. <laughs> much less the number. Um, and I don't know what he's referring to. But I will say that I used AAA yesterday because – got to be you then. I yeah, decided. maybe. Yeah, I don't wonder if he means AA. Probably not. Oh, well, am- it says AAA. Okay. But, Tri- that is AAA. But it – but I'm do hard – Do you guys riff about AA? Well, we have, I mean, sort of touched everything at this point, yeah. but I'm hard-pressed to remember one AAA <laughs> joke that we've made. <laughs> Maybe it's AAA baseball or something. I, I know, know. As I said AAA, I was like, I feel like it could be another, it could be some yeah. other A's. So uh, more clarification needed right here. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Andrew Ludweber. I like the idea that it's I, him with that question. I'm very high on the Automobile Association of America. I'm a proud member. Uh, let's see. Roy C. Padrick says, when he is writing riffs now or in the past, does he think about who will use the lines? If so, who is favorite cohort to write for? Me. I like to write for me. No, we all write for each other. And um, unless there's something really uh, particular to any one of us, it's just sort of a round robin. Um, try not to be too precious about it. But like my colleague Kevin Murphy is a wonderful singer. So if there's something that really needs range, I will give it to him. And Mike does a great Nick Nolte impression, so I like to make him do Nick Nolte all the time. I don't know what I do, but <laughs> what does what does Bill do, Tony? I I don't know. I'm I don't the, know. I don't do that either. Yeah. yeah, there you go. That's <laughs> your new thing. Yeah, it's my uh, new thing. Joe but. Blanc says, "What's a movie you never ever want to watch again?" Ooh. Um, there's one that became sort of famous through through Mystery Science Theater called um, Manos, The Hands of Fate, which was made by a fertilizer salesman in Texas in the early 60s. And it really, like, Mystery Science Theater put it on the map as a cult movie, so we can be proud of that, I guess. But it really does have this creepy snuff film feeling that I just don't like. There are some cheesy movies that I really feel affection towards mm-hmm. because I'm like, oh, they tried and they wound up doing this goofy thing. But that's not one of them. It just feels like. What do you mean by snuff film? Oh, do you know, I mean, the, I, do you yeah. know the term? Yes. It feels like people were not healthy and. Um, I don't know. There are like, Is it a violent film? It's not particularly violent, and it's really goofy in some ways, but just the way it's shot and the, the sort of misogyny involved, mm. it's, it's not the worst we've faced, but it feels like a particular kind of creepy that... And, and does it, I guess what I'm driving at is, like, does it feel like it's real? No, no. Okay. <laughs> Not that. But it still has like a It does have a feel. It just feels like I've, I have lived in it long enough. I saw the original version, then we yeah. did it again for Riff Tracks. It's like, I don't need to see that again. Yeah. But outside of Riffs, there's a whole bunch of kinds of movies I never see, need to see again, like Big Fighting Robots, which I've alluded to. I don't, I think uh, anything that's super like violent, especially about rape, I just don't need to see that in any movie again. Yeah. Um, can you plot device? Can you enjoy a movie without uh, doing commentary in your head? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, 
there's two definite gears that although my wife sometimes says like all right you know like stop <laughs> riffing the movie if it's something that's borderline all rough. wives say that yeah it's basically <laughs> it's another variation of shut up with you and i don't and i totally support her decision to try to shut me up um at one point she said would you stop riffing breakfast i mean come on. it's like you're off duty man um but really, I love to sit, and I'm actually almost in the other direction. I like to be super quiet, and I don't like when people talk, and I'm, I'm an impossible person. I just uh, <laughs> like, shh, librarian <laughs> shit. Like, I'm trying to listen. So, no. Um, and lastly, uh, another question that I don't, I don't get, but I bet you will. Angry Algonquin says, how does he feel about springs? Oh, that's a reference to one of the shorts we did, um, where a little uh, animated sprite shows this dumpy guy from the 1950s. It's all very black and white. He's like the it's it's a sort of prototype of commercial that I think the Simpsons parody too. Mm-hmm. Like some guy is having trouble with springs, and he says, "Oh, I wish they never existed." And then a little cartoon character says, "I'm going to show you a world where springs never did oh, exist," okay. and then everything goes to hell, of course. Right. So I love springs, and I hope they never go away because <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the dark side. Right, you know. <laughs> Um, Bill Corbett, it was so nice having you on the show. Yeah, thank you, Allison. Thank Alison. you so much. You're great. You're a great host. And I'm like learning how to interview from you as we sit here. Oh. You're good at it. He was talking about it earlier today. How, yeah, how I, I, like, I listened to a couple of your shows just oh, to like get you. to know you a little bit. And I'm like, you're good at this. Thank so, you. Yeah. That makes me Thanks. feel really good. Good. Thank if you. If we can leave it there, I'll, I'll feel like my work is done. Are we best friends? <laughs> we, are. You- we are. We are. We are buds. What's funny is there have been times on the show where I've been like, oh my God, I feel like we are best friends. And then people have guessed like, wait, you say that to every guest, like is the premise to see if you're really going to be best friends? I'm like, no, it really isn't at all. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I, sometimes I say it, but like a lot less than you'd think given the title. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Tell everyone where to find you, let them know what they should look out for, etc. Yeah, mostly uh, look on Riftracks, R-I-F-F-T-R-A-X dot com. We, um, we have a great site with all the stuff we've made over the years, um, announcements about our uh, Fathom event shows. Um, on social media, you can kind of find me anywhere at Bill Corbett. I'm very boring. I just use my name. That's I'm using. I'm trying. I'm kind of using Twitter less and trying Instagram for a while to get away from the- political discussions and shit. So I'm just posting pictures of my Wendy and Rudy. I've got to get. I've got to follow you right <laughs> please now. Please do. Please do. Tony. I am at Tony Thaxton on Twitter and Instagram, and please check out my new podcast, Bizarre Albums. And I'm at Allison Rosen on Twitter and Instagram. I have another podcast called Childish. If you like what you're hearing now. Now being on this one, but also on that one, <laughs> tell a friend, subscribe, download, um, subscribe your friend's computer, and everyone leave comments. <laughs> I really am not good at this part. I feel like I'm fairly I okay. I think you're as good as I've heard. Like, oh. you know, it's tough. It's okay. tough. It is, yeah. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a great note to end on. It's tough. It's tough. <laughs> um, also, I have a book out, and we have t-shirts. <gasps> And ringtones and all sorts of stuff. Go to AllisonRosen.com. You'll find all of that stuff. Uh, and also check out my Patreon. And I'm on Cameo, but I don't expect you to care. <laughs> <laughs> Patreon.com slash AllisonRosen. Bill, thank you so much. Thanks, Allison. It's Listeners, been really fun. Thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey,